Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. We welcome those listening this morning online, live, and also by way of a podcast. If you've downloaded, just we welcome you this morning to us. And we're in John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. It says this, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the ban- banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. We all know this story, or hopefully you do. Sunday school, Jesus turning the water into the wine. It's something that's sometimes a bit controversial because if Jesus did a miracle to change water into wine, then you know sometimes people think, why did he change water into wine? And was this wine alcoholic? Well, I'm sure it was because even the master of the banquet said that why have you brought this choice wine out? Because he recognized the top quality of this wine. So if you ever want to look at that, you'll see there that even then that Jesus could produce the top quality, finest wine. It wasn't non-alcoholic because we can see that in this story. And it says here that we've just read that this was the first miracle that revealed his glory. So we all know that as the first miracle, and it's an amazing story of, uh, you can imagine this wedding that people have come and invited, and Jesus has been invited as well, and in this wedding that all of a sudden the wine runs out. I mean, we, we had a wedding, I, I'm, is Emma here? I can't remember the date, 2004, yes, 2004, 20th, 25th of September, boy, I'm glad she's not here. 25th of September, and I remember that that time we got married, and I remember the amount of things that we had to buy in the food to make sure that everyone was sustained through the whole event. We wanted to make sure there's always surplus. How many of you know my mum, every time she cooks, she always cooks double. She always makes sure there's more than enough, and yeah, it's good, and when I go home at Christmas, boy, people think a gravy boat's big. My mum brings out the biggest jug of gravy at Christmas. 
My mom is always making too much. My dad always says around the table, you make far too much. Next time, just gauge what you're making. But she never learns. You see, we need to make sure there's enough. But in this wedding, for some reason, and it's probably because these were drunkards, they were drinking lots of wine, that Jesus is among these drunkards watching them drink. And all of a sudden, we see that the wine is about to run out. And you'd think, wouldn't you? I mean, we all want Jesus at this point to stand up and say, listen, I want to tell you that you shouldn't drink. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't be drinking now. You need to stop drinking. This is wrong. But what does he do? The moment he gets involved, he makes more wine. It's a bit crazy, isn't it? A bit silent across the room. He makes more wine. He produces more even though they're getting drunk. I want to talk to you this morning about this story because I believe it reveals something about who Jesus is. And I think it reveals something of that particular day. And that particular day, what we see is that there was a transformation of a miracle that happened that converted something that was so mundane and and so tasteless to something that was beautiful. What happened that day was an amazing transformation. You see, the truth is this, that actually the Bible tells us this was the first miracle but that revealed His glory, and it was. But actually, there was another miracle and another, another demonstration of His power before this. I don't know if you've seen that before. But in the previous chapter, in John chapter 1, we see another demonstration of power from Jesus. You see, it's not just the miracle there that we see, but just before this, in John chapter 1, and I want us to look at it now, in verse 47 to 49, it says this. Jesus was walking through and he says, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael looks at him and says, How do you know me? Nathanael said. Jesus answered and said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathan declared, Rabbi, teacher, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. In other words, what we see here is a prophetic demonstration of power. Jesus is walking along and he meets Nathaniel and he says to Nathaniel, he says who he is, he describes the person he is. Nathaniel says, how do you know who I am? In other words, a word of knowledge. How do you know who I am? And Nathaniel recognizes this and then Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree Before, when you didn't even realize, I saw you at a time in your life. He gives him a word of knowledge. He says, I've seen this particular instance. Straight away, what does Nathaniel say? He responds and says, you are the son of God. If you could know that, then if you could have seen me that day, he must have been thinking to himself that there was no one around. I was under the fig tree all on my own. How could he have seen me? Only God could have seen. And right there and then we see just in the previous chapter that already Jesus is making a mark on society where he's walking, showing that he has power. Do you know why I want you to see that? It's because I've got a, a, an issue and a, and a difficulty in understanding when I first read about Jesus being invited to the wedding of why he actually got invited. Especially why his disciples did. I mean, I don't know about you, but... When we were 
organizing our wedding and we're putting the wedding list together. It's quite difficult, isn't it, to try and decide who's coming. You know it. Because, you know, if you get on the list and you go to a wedding, you think, oh, I've made it. The worst thing is if you get to the wedding and your name's not down on the table plan. And you're only invited to the night do. But when we were putting our, our wedding list together, I remember my mum was phoning me up. She says, you need to invite Aunt Lil. You need to invite Auntie Betty. I'm saying, who's Auntie Betty? She said, you know Auntie Betty? You remember when you were two? No. She said, you remember Uncle Joe from Australia? No. I don't know who he is. You need to invite them. They're, they're, they're important people. And all of a sudden, the whole list gets out of control and we end up wanting to invite people just because we have to. I want to know why Jesus gets an invite. We know his mother was there. Jesus gets an invite. But then it says his disciples. I mean, there's one thing to invite someone and for them to get on the table plan. But another thing for them to bring their mates as well. I mean, I've never had a wedding invitation from anyone that says, invite you Phil to our wedding for the meal. Please respond, but let us know if you're bringing your mates as well. I don't know if you've seen this. It says Jesus and his disciples. Do you know why I reckon he got an invite? Because I reckon, just as we see in John chapter 1, Jesus hadn't revealed his glory. I mean, the miracle is a glory. It's a, it's a re- revelation of glory. It is something unbelievable. I mean, transformation like that is just beyond us. I mean, if, you, if today Jesus was doing this in churches, I reckon the world would be flocking in. I don't know about you. Give me some of this wine. It was a miracle. But in John chapter 1, what we see, and I believe Jesus did more things than this, because we know that all the things weren't listed in the Bible, what he did. That I believe he was already making his mark on society. People got to know what Jesus was like. And I reckon the reason why they said, Jesus, you're invited to the wedding and as many of your mates can come as well, is because they knew what he was like. He, he could do something. He could bring power. There was something special about this person. So they wanted him there. So he gets an invite and he comes along. I don't know about you today, but maybe in your life, you need transformation. The title of the message today is Totally Transformed. Maybe you need transformation in your life. Maybe you need God to come in and do something in your life that will transform you and take you from the mundane to something beautiful. To change something that feels tasteless in your life to something that tastes amazing. Because I believe Jesus has the power to do that. Maybe you need a miracle today. Or maybe the good wine of your life is flowing well. But by the way, it's going to come to an end. Things like that always run out. You see, you can enjoy life. You can enjoy good things. You can enjoy the wine of life. But it always runs dry. And what Jesus says is, I have the ability to be eternal and to produce so it never ends. And some of us today feel like maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not. But you feel like life is, is just, you're, you're just cooking on the last bit of gas. 
There is not much left and what you're going to do when this runs out. Or you're looking and saying, I've got these things that I get enjoyment from, but I know that this, I can't sustain it. And you need transformation because you need what Jesus has to offer. You know, quite a number of years ago, there was a, a, a preacher of a, a very prominent church in the UK. Big church. Fantastic church. And if you've ever listened to our podcasts, you'll probably hear, I think it's Aidan comes on at the beginning of any of our podcasts. He welcomes you to listen to our, 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 our sermons. And the same was happening in their church. They had sermons that you could download. You could buy the CDs then, probably cassettes. You could buy the CDs. You could listen to the sermon after. But at the beginning of the sermon, just like ours, they would have this little introductory message. And the introductory message was something like this, that listen to this message today and it will transform your life. Now what happened is that he realized that actually that was a lie. Because we can't say that a message will transform someone's life. I want to encourage you today that my message can't transform your life. What I have to say out of my mouth today cannot transform. It is not the power to transform. The only power to transform is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So do you know what they did? They removed the introductory message. They removed this message because they said, we're giving a false promise. How can we say that our message, as good as what it might be, can be there to say that this will transform your life? What happens if it doesn't? You know, the truth is this, is because what happens is when we receive the word, when we hear the word by faith, there needs to be a response. How can we see total transformation in our lives? It's not because of the way I'm going to preach today. It's not because of the way that I'm going to say something. It might be anointed. It might be God working and the Holy Spirit speaking. But ultimately, there has to be something else. I want to look at today. What is it that was special about that event? And how is it that transformation can come? And whatever transformation you need this morning, whatever you need in your life, you need to understand that there is more than just coming and listening to a sermon can't happen. If it is, it would all fail, wouldn't it? We all need some form of transformation. Number one, the first thing that we see about this story is this, that Jesus received a request. Jesus received a request. Now, the first request that he gets is an invitation to the wedding. He gets an invitation to actually come to the wedding with His friends, as we know, bring your mates, come along, as many as you like. We've heard about what you're like, we want you around. We've heard about the power, you, in fact, you know about people, you know things about them, we want you around in our wedding. It's like the feature act, isn't it? Get Jesus in, tell as many of his mates to come. And they wanted him there. There was a request that came for Jesus' mother to be there. Do you know one thing I see about this is what I find very interesting. Some people think that Jesus is not interested in coming in to the mundane parts of our life. We get this idea that Jesus is so super spiritual that all he's ever bothered about is being around revival meetings around the world. And he's not interested about being part of your daily lives. The truth is this, that he is. He is. Jesus is just as interested by his spirit in coming into parts of your life, however boring you might think they are. 
And I find it so interesting that Jesus and his disciples take the time out to go. You know, they could have done an RSVP and they could have phoned up or texted and said, look, I'm sorry, we're too busy. We've got to prepare getting ready for the big meetings. We've got some stuff to do. We've got to go and pray for people. We've got to go and tell people about who Jesus is. We've got to do some amazing things. We don't want to come to the wedding. I'm sorry, but give our places to someone else. But Jesus goes. He responds to their request. He doesn't deny them. And he responds. Jesus is interested in every single detail of your life. And the enemy will tell you he's not. The enemy will say to you, no, 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 don't bother inviting Jesus. Don't bother inviting him to come into areas of your life. But God wants you to do that. He's interested in everything. In Luke 12, verse 6 to 7, he says, Are not five sparrows, Jesus said, sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. He's talking about sparrows, guys. Sparrows. How much more are you precious to him? And then he says this in verse 7, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I mean, God has got the time to count your hairs, even mine that fall out every day. Does he have to recount them? I mean, Emma keeps, she keeps saying, someone's shedding around the house. I'm checking my hair. He must have to recount every day. He's, he's such interested that he wants to know the numbers of hair on, hairs on your head. How much more is he interested in what's going on in your workplace tomorrow? What's going on at university tomorrow? What's going on at school tomorrow? What's going on in every avenue of your life? How much more is he interested if he's got the time to count the hairs on your head? And some of us think, oh, I'm not going to bother inviting Jesus into this bit. I'm not going to bother when I get into prayer about talking to Jesus about that bit because that bit's boring. I'm just going to talk about all the super spiritual things about who I am. And we end up talking about us and, and God, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. And all the time Jesus is saying, I just want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about the things that's going on. But you won't let me, you won't even tell me. You don't want to talk to me about it. How can we expect Jesus to help us when we don't want to talk to him about it? He's interested in every single detail. Revelation 3 verse 20, it says this, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, this is Jesus, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm standing and knocking, but I'm also speaking. Can you hear me? A lot of people look at this scripture and say it's just about receiving Jesus for the first time. I believe it's sometimes we shut the door back on him again. We get into our private place to go and spend communion time with Jesus, and actually, we've shut the door on him. We're shutting the door on him, saying, actually, I just want to talk to you about certain things, and I'm going to shut the door on these things because I don't want to hear what you have to say, Jesus, because I've got it all worked out. It's all worked out in here. I know what needs to happen. And what we do is we don't invite him in. Some of us ask for wisdom from God of how we're going to deal with things, but we don't don't want his wisdom. He says, I'm standing at the door knocking, but also speaking. And what we do is when his wisdom comes, we say, we don't want that wisdom. It doesn't sound, it doesn't fit with what I've got. It doesn't fit with my pattern. So what we do is we shut the door on him. 
But I want to tell you today that Jesus is speaking. He's so interested in all the details. And today, every single person that sat in this room, do you know every single one of you, including me, has got issues in our lives right now. You know what they are. You're thinking, do you know what? I haven't even prayed about that. I've put some things on my prayer list. In fact, actually, some of us maybe have not even been praying. But some of us have put these things on our prayer list, but I've not bothered with that because I didn't want to bother God. I used to get called a God-botherer at one time at work because I bothered God apparently too much. I mean, I don't think God is interested whether or not we're going to Him 24 hours a day or one hour a day. He wants to be with us because He died for us. We can't bother God. He loves us so much. The first request is this, that they, co- he, they come to the wedding. They invite him in. And some of us today need to make a place for Jesus. Some of us today need to make that place for him. We've not bothered actually inviting him in. Whether he's interested in our things or not. We think, I'm just going to leave you out of this one, Jesus. And we need to make that place. The second request that Jesus gets is this. That Mary requests the supernatural help. You see, he's given a place at the wedding. He's given a place in their lives. And he wants a place in your life. But then what happens is this. That Mary recognizes. Because she knows. She must have known already. This was the first miracle. But she must have known. Something in her heart said to her. That Jesus, her son, had the ability to change water into wine. What did she know? I mean, I'd have loved to have been at the table eating a dinner with Jesus and Mary, of the kind of conversations for her to come to the conclusion that Jesus, her son, could change water into wine in a wedding. I mean, she's really putting Jesus on the spot. She must have known something. You see, if you give Jesus the place in your life, you'll know him. If you give Jesus the place and you allow him to come through the door where he's knocking and he's speaking and he's trying to speak into your life, do you know what will happen? You'll get to know him more. When you get to know him more, you'll understand what he's capable of. You'll understand who he is and how he can bring transformation. You see, the reason why she puts her hand up and says, Jesus, I think you need to get involved and change this water and do something. Do something. The reason why is because she knew him. Question is, if you don't give place to him in your life, in the areas of your life, and you shut him out, the question is, do you really know him, and do you really know what he's capable of? Or do you just say you do? Oh, yes, I believe he can produce miracles. Some of us say these things from our mouths, but we don't spend time with him to understand by his Holy Spirit that he can actually do this. She knew. She invites him. He says, when the wine was gone, Verse 3, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Jesus said, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. I find this interesting because Jesus, Jesus says, why do you involve me? In other words, he's now at the wedding. He doesn't want to do this miracle in one way. But she instigates it. She instigates the miracle. She says, I believe, Jesus, that you can do this. I believe that you can change this water into wine. And she suggests this to Jesus, and he says, why are you involving me? 
Why am I getting involved in this? And some of us today, we actually have not received anything because we've not asked. The reason why you've not got transformation in your life is probably because you shut Jesus out in certain areas. You don't give him everything of your life. And then in the areas that you don't give him, sometimes we say we don't even ask him for his help. The reason why he responds and he still does it for them is because he responds because they asked. There was a request. Jesus requests in our life lots of things. He says, I want this from you. We sung this morning about giving everything of our hearts. Have it all, God. I surrender everything. You know, it's so easy to sing, I surrender all. I mean, my granddad used to sing that. I've been singing that for years. I surrender all, but I'm not sure if I do most of the time. I surrender all is a big, big statement. And you better be true to your statement. Because we can't just sing I surrender all and then leave here and shut him out on lots of things. I surrender everything to you, Jesus. Everything. And then ask him for his help. James 4 verse 2 says this. You do not have because you do not ask God. You don't have because you've not asked. Some of you today will say, well, I have asked and I've not, re- I've not received. Depends what motives sometimes you ask with. What are our motives for asking God? Do we ask and believe in our hearts that he can give or respond? I believe when Mary asked Jesus to do the miracle and to sort the issue out, it's not just to kind of test him out and see if he could try and do this. It's, I know you can, so ask, I'm asking you because I know you can do this. She knew he could do it because of relationship. Some of us need to spend time with him and understand that when we ask, he will respond because we know in our hearts. Why don't we ask sometimes? You're saying today, well, I have asked. Some of us don't ask for certain things. We feel unworthy. We feel unworthy to ask. We feel guilty. So we go in and we pray and we spend time with Jesus and we get on our knees and we actually sin in our lives causes us not to want to ask him for anything. We say, you know what, I I don't even ask for him to help me financially. How can I ask him to help me financially when I've been sinning this week? How can I ask God to help me with that particular thing? Because if I ask him that, then that seems so hypocritical because I've been letting him down this week. Listen, do you know that God's grace flows continually? His mercy is new every single morning. I want to remind you of that, that you stand today on the word of God that says, I don't know, I don't care what you did yesterday. Come to me, all you are weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come and spend time with me. Come and ask me. I will give you the things you need. He wants you to come and ask him. But the enemy says you're too guilty to ask. You can't ask him for an extra pay rise to help you financially to cope with the demands of life. No, you would be cheeky to ask for that. How dare you when you sinned last week? How dare it when you did those things? And the moment you think about asking, the sins begin to come back into your mind. So then you don't ask. You do not receive because you have not asked. One of the things that the enemy loves to do, he hates prayer, by the way. He hates it when you get into communication with God. He doesn't like it. Do you know that? He can't stand it. Because the moment you're in communion with him, he knows that something is happening. There is a a heaven to earth connection. 
taking place. A spiritual connection that he cannot stand. And what he wants for you is to keep you in the earth communication. He doesn't want you to communicate with your father. So he says, look, I'm going to remind you of everything you've done wrong. So that you don't ask. And all you do is you ask God, you say sorry to God for everything you've done. Jesus does not want to stand at the door and knock and come in and eat with us and listen to us say sorry all day. He doesn't want to do that. We need to repent, but actually he doesn't want to spend all of the time communicating with us, us saying sorry for this, sorry for that. He knows that you'll be sorry every single day because you cannot fulfill the law. It's impossible. But you come before him and say, God, I'm thankful that you are the one who's forgiven me of all my sins. I'm thankful today that I'm not condemned. I'm thankful today that your righteousness is my righteousness. I'm thankful today that even though I made a mistake, therefore I'm going to stand on your word and now I'm going to ask you for what I need. I really believe that's a word strong for someone here today who's not been asking because you didn't ask. We don't feel like bothering him, do we? You know, years ago we were in Corfu and we hired a moped. And we rode out into the mountains and I said to Emma, I want to ride right to the north of Corfu on this little 50cc moped. And we did. We, we rode there and we went to the beach for the day and I just like to explore. And we took this moped and the guy said to me, he says, just be careful where you take this thing. And I've got a map. I said, we're going as far as we can go. So we went to the top of the island. We went there for a day and at the end of the day, we set off back to come back through the mountains and as we set off back, I'd only gone a few, about 100 meters, and then all of a sudden, the whole thing of the engine packed in. I smelt a burning smell. Emma sat on the back. She said, what on earth is that? We get off the moped. The whole belt's burnt. The thing wasn't moving. We were just sat in the middle of the road, cars and lorries flying past us. And right on the side of this moped was a number, and it said, in case of an emergency, call this number. How many of you have seen those numbers sometimes? You're trying to work out whether you've got an emergency or not. Because you know that you can't bother them. You know, even the doctors, when I phone the doctors sometimes, they say, is this an emergency? And you're trying to decide, how much of an emergency is this? Yeah, my heart, I'm feeling problems with my heart. There's pain in my chest. Yes, it is an emergency. They'll only give you an appointment if you say it's an emergency sometimes. And I see this sticker on the side. I'm thinking, I don't want to bother the guys. In fact, he told me not to go too far on the moped. He's not going to be happy if I phone him up. So I'm trying to work out in my head, how do I solve the problem without bothering the guy? Because I know there is only one way we're going to get back. Someone's got to bring a new belt for this moped. And it's not going to be me. And so it's going to be him who's miles away through the mountains that I've just traveled. He's got to bring the belt. Someone's got to bring the belt. So for, for a while, I'm trying to work out how do I solve the problem. So in the end, we realized that there is only one way. This is an emergency. We've got to phone the number. So I went to someone's house. Then we didn't have mobile phones. I went and knocked on someone's house and asked them if I could use their phone to phone up this gentleman. He said, how are you doing? I said, I'm good. I'm at the north of the island. He says, that's fantastic. You've gone a long way. I felt so guilty. I said, well, we wanted to explore and we've got a bit of a problem. He said, what's wrong? I said, it doesn't work anymore. The moped, we've burnt the belt he said to me, he said, oh, no. You know, it's like that thing when I, I, I realized I'd done something wrong and I didn't dare tell my dad. I felt like my dad was on the other end of the phone. And he said to me, well, we'll have to send someone out. Well, they sent someone out with a big truck. They picked us up, put the moped on the back and drove us all the way through the mountains. 
asking us why we traveled that far. Some of us sometimes, you know, God wants to talk to us. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says to call upon him. He'll tell us great and unsearchable things that we don't know. Did you know that? I say it to many times people, dial 333, ask him for his help. Some of us sometimes don't dial. Do you know why we don't dial? Because we don't. We're scared of calling, so what we do is we try to solve the problem ourselves. What we try to do is say, if I call God, it's going to look like I'm not capable. I don't want to bother God with these things, the details of it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and sort the issue out myself. God says, no. The emergency number's there for a reason. Because I want you to call me. Call upon me. Some of us are not praying to God because we've given up praying because of the difficulties and the challenges we're going through. They're so challenging, we don't want to bother God with them. We've not requested his help. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but in Jonah, the story of Jonah, he ends up inside a fish because he disobeys God. God's got a call on his life. So he runs from the call. He gets on a ship, on a boat. And then what happens? He ends up being in the water and he's swallowed by a fish, a large fish that he's in for three days. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but right in the middle of this story, in Jonah chapter 2 verse 1, he says this, from inside the fish, picture that, from inside the fish, this is worse than a moped breaking down, from inside the fish's belly, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Have you ever thought of that? He's inside the fish. He's now thought, I've rejected God. I've not bothered with God. I've messed up. Now I'm in a circumstance that this is terrible. I'm inside a fish's belly. I mean, if I was inside a fish's belly, I'd think that was the end. I don't know about you. I'd, I'd give up on God. I think I'd, I'd be like, wow, this is it now. You can't get out of a fish's belly. How is this going to happen? But he says from inside the fish, he cries out to God. Do you want to know something? What's so interesting about that story? That Jonah was closer to an answer from God in the belly more than the boat. Do you know that? The boat was going in the wrong direction. He was more in position for what God wanted to do and the answer God wants to give him. He was more closer to his answer in the belly than the boat. I mean the boat felt quite safe and comfortable. But the belly feels dangerous life-threatening, the end of our tether, the end of everything. What's going on, Lord? It's dark. All the inside of this belly. But do you know what? He was more in position for God to answer. He was close to his answer in the belly than the boat. Some of you today, feels like you're in the fish's belly. You're saying, I was better off when I was on the boat. Why, God, am I in the fish's belly? Why am I in these circumstances where it feels really dark? Why am I here right now? Why does it feel so bad? And God's saying to you, listen, you are on the comfortable boat. I've put you in the belly to get you away because you're closer to the answer. You're closer to the answer. I want to tell you today that wherever you are, do not give up calling out and asking and requesting his help because he wants you to cry out to him. Psalm 34 verse 17 says this, The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Hallelujah. That's something to rejoice about, isn't it? 
That's something to rejoice about. The fact that he says, if you cry out to him, he will respond to you in your trouble. The psalmist says that he rescues our life from the pit. He rescues your life from the pit. And he brings it back to where it should be. Some of you today are saying, God, I'm quitting. I've had enough of this belly. I've had enough of this position. We give up requesting. I want to encourage you today. Get on your knees again when you get home. Start requesting of him. Stop saying sorry, just sorry, and start saying, God, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to start talking to you about these issues. Hallelujah. That's just number one. Sorry, guys. And I'm doing this later as well. Number two, Jesus requires a reaction. You see, he he responds to a request. He needs a request, but it says that we see that Jesus requires a reaction from us. Jesus' mother said to the servants in verse 5, Do whatever he tells you. So first of all, Jesus, he gets to the place at the wedding. He needs a place in our lives. Next thing, they ask him for supernatural help. You need to ask him for your help. But the next thing that we see here is that it requires a reaction. You see, I, I, I've got another issue again. Why, if Jesus is who he says he is, why didn't he just say, okay, you need more wine? You need more wine? Watch this. All of a sudden, bottles of wine. You know, even in bottles with corks, he could have done that, couldn't he? He could have done it in modern wine bottles. And No, he didn't do that. What's going on? What's the next thing he does? He says, okay, you've asked me to get involved. Watch this then. Right, I need you to in- take my instructions. You see, Jesus' mother recognized something that actually needs a response and an action. Faith requires action. Faith requires action. Did you not know that? You've got to do something. See, some people sometimes say, I've got a mustard seed of faith, but they don't bother acting. You see, you can have mustard seed faith, that's fantastic, but you've got to act to get the mustard seed faith working. And so what Jesus says is, he says, yeah, it's right. You need to do what I'm going to tell you to do because there's a list of instructions now you've got to do in order for this miracle to work. The reason why is Jesus loves to include us in his miracles. He loves to get us involved. He's not someone who's just taking the show. He says, didn't he? Greater works you you will do than I. In other words, Jesus, he loves to get involved with people. You won't know this, but today, if some of you were listening this early this morning, just a few days ago, I got a call from BBC Radio Cambridgeshire Faith Show. They said this to me. They said, did you see the program on TV the other day? about Pentecostal churches growing, the fastest growing churches in the UK. That it's the fastest growing denomination. They said, do you know about this? Did you see the program? And I did see the program. I don't know if anyone saw that. Program on BBC Two. And I saw this program and I thought, it's fantastic to see. We need to rejoice in these things. They said to me, we found you on Google and we found that you're a Pentecostal church in Cambridge. Can you tell us a bit about this? Why is the church growing? I said, I'll tell you everything. I said, I'll tell you, yeah. I, I thankfully, I had a cup of coffee with me. I sat there and I said, yeah, I'll tell you. I spent 20 minutes on the phone. She was silent. This is this researcher. She was silent. She said to me, this is amazing. We didn't know about this. 
I said, oh yeah, we see miracles. We see God touch lives. Power of God moving in our city. We take this out to the streets. We've seen God touch many lives. We didn't know about this. I could sit here and listen to this all day. So give me the broadcasting slot then. I said, well, I said, this is what's happening. She goes, we didn't know this. She says, this is amazing. Will you, will you do an interview? I said, yeah. 20 minutes later, I was recorded an interview. It's been on this morning at 10 past 7 and at 10 past 8 on BBC uh, Cambridgeshire. You can listen later on, I think, if you go back on to the broadcast. I think it's at the news slots. And there's a four-minute interview. I haven't even heard it fully myself yet. I've heard a little bit of it this morning. I caught the end of it. But there's me sharing about what God's doing in our city, in this church. She said this to me, what's the difference between your church and other denominations then? I said, and I thought, is she trying to get me to put these things down? I said, there's no, I said, there's lots of flavors out there. I said, and they might think that we've way off balance when we go for the power of God. I says, but I believe that when people talk about Pentecostalism, when you look at Pentecost at the beginning, it's not just about the establishment of the church. It's about the empowerment of believers to go and do the works of Jesus. So I said to them, I said, it's not just about the establishment and the history of the church. I said, Jesus said we'll do greater works. I said, we're doing it. She said, this is amazing. She said, what about the culture of the future of the church? How do you think that's going to go? Where are people going to be interested in? I said, they're going to be interested when they see authenticity. And they're not seeing what the world's trying to recreate the world. I said, what we're trying to give people is authenticity. The real thing. The spirit of God. She loved it. Listen to the slot. I don't know what's on there. But listen to the slot. But it sounds, sounds pretty good. Listen to me. Jesus wants us to get involved. Amen. I digressed. He wants us to get involved. She said, Mary, do whatever he tells you. She knew that there was instructions to be done. Do whatever he says. Then it says this in John chapter 2, verse 6 to 8, which we read earlier. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. Sometimes, you know, we don't understand why there's things that God's asked us to do. You see, we go into the private place. We go into the secret place and we speak with God. We ask him to help us. Then when he responds and says, I want you to do this in your life. And we want, I want you to do this in your life. I want you to change that and I want you to remove that. And I want you to get rid of these friends because these are a bad influence on you. I want you to shift this out of your life. What we do is we get a list of instructions from Jesus because we want a transformation in an area and then we don't want to follow his instructions. And what you see here is that the way it works is that when you ask him and you give him place in your life, he'll tell you a list of instructions that you won't understand. He'll give you a list of instructions in your life, not in a dictatorial, dictatorial way, but he will say to you, look, these things are not good for you, son. These things are not good for you, daughter. I want you to shift these things, move things around so that I can work in your life. I've put here that total transformation from God requires total cooperation from us. Total transformation from God requires total cooperation from us. You see, I don't know if you've seen this, but he gives them a list of instructions. Part of those instructions, the first one is this. Now, you've got to remember, they're at a Jewish wedding. Jewish wedding. 
And what does he say? He doesn't say to them, right, I want you to get, find some empty jars and we'll fill them with wine. He says to them, there are six stone jars over there. And these jars were not just ordinary jars. These jars were six ceremonial washing jars. In other words, they were religious articles. They were articles of the Jewish tradition that they had to go to and they would use to wash themselves and cleanse themselves. In in other words, to cleanse themselves of sin. So Jesus is saying, yeah, okay, let's get involved. First thing first, see those six jars that you all use for your religious methods? Go and get them. We're going to use them. In fact, we're going to fill them with alcoholic wine instead of the water that's in there for washing you. How bad does that sound? I mean, would you invite Jesus back? You'd be then thinking, this was a bad idea, inviting Jesus and his disciples. Now they want to destroy all of our religious articles in the room, the things that we used to wash ourselves to feel clean before God. Now Jesus is actually saying to us, I want you to use them because we're going to use them for wine. He gives these lists of instructions. Some of us don't want to respond to the instructions. We want to skip over. We say, I'm not sure about that because that doesn't work for me. I don't know whether I can bother with this because if I bother with this, I'm messing around with religious traditions. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to respond. Just the other week, we, were, we just got a new Ikea bed. And I was fitting this thing together. And boy, oh boy, it took me one whole day. A whole day got the instructions, the instructions you need a degree to understand. The instructions, I mean it. I was getting so frustrated. I mean, if you, you know, righteous anger. No one was around, so I was getting angry with myself. Then Emma came in and, you know, it it wasn't great. She said, how are you getting on? I said, I'm good. Just leave. I'm, I'm dealing with it. Have you not, you've not put it together yet? You imagine the scenario? You've been spending hours on that. I said, look, it's hard. So I'm looking. The, the, I, do you, I don't know if you found this. You look at the instructions. You're trying to work out what parts are yours, how many screws. And this is what I always end up doing. I don't know about anyone else. What I always end up doing is I end up doing it and building it, and then I've done something upside down. So I have to take everything apart again and start again. Because I realized the bar had two holes on the underside. So I've now got to re- reverse everything I've done and start again. And in the end, do you know why I get into those places? Because I skip instructions. Number three. Oh, that one looks complex. I'm just going to look at the end picture. Ah, that looks easy. I'm going to try and recreate the picture. So we, set, we, we, we try to recreate the picture rather than missing point, And we miss point three. And Jesus is saying in our lives today, he's saying, I'm giving you a list of instructions that I'm calling you to do because you've asked for my help. You want transformation. You want to see the perfect thing in your life. Listen, do these things. Don't skip them. Because you'll find halfway through, it's gone wrong. Then you'll be asking me again, why has it gone wrong? And I'll respond and say to you, because you'd never listened. You didn't do what I said. Some of us today need to respond to God in everything he asks us to do. You know there's some things you've asked him help for. There's things that you're missing out. You're saying, I don't want to do that. And we we actually do a pick and mix selection. I'll just have that bit. I'll have number one, number two, but I'll miss that one. And hopefully it will be okay in the end. The truth is it won't. 
To obey Jesus today, some of, him, some of us may need to lose our friends. Lose religious things that we get involved in and do. And these jars were there for some ceremonial washing. But I just find it interesting that Jesus rocks the boat and he says, I want to use them to now put wine into. In Romans 12 verse 2, Apostle Paul says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. Jesus can't transform you and me today if we don't submit to him, if we just conform to what the world wants. He cannot do it if he doesn't get everything of ourselves, a total surrender to him. He cannot do it. And he says, I need today from you a reaction to come to me. If we look in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 38, we see Peter addressing the, the crowd at Pentecost. And he says this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and, and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? In other words, he preaches, but there's always a response needed. They needed to know what do we do to respond to this message. And there's always a response required and an action required from us. Number three and final, Jesus then provides a renewal. He provides a renewal. You see, transformation takes place in this wedding that I'd love to have seen this. Because the six jars are now filled to the brim with water. Six jars are now topped up to the brim with water. 20 to 30 gallons each. That's a lot of wine. It's a lot of wine. You calculate that, it's about 130 bottles of your wine that you would buy today. 130 bottles Jesus produces for a drunk crowd. Get your theology on that one. 130 bottles of top class wine he produces to a drunk crowd. Six stone jars filled. Why? Why does he do this? Why does he do it? It doesn't seem right. Why does he fill these jars with wine? See, I believe that there was something underlying in this whole message that Jesus wanted to show the Jews. And it wasn't this, that I'm going to produce more wine and I'm giving you the ability to just keep drinking. You see, the truth is this, that anyone who drinks wine, it always comes to an end. I used to drink quite a lot when I was younger, going out and drinking in clubs and all sorts of things. And if you've ever drunk, you'll know this. When I used to go out, even in my darkest times, I would be in nightclubs and I would be drinking. The times when I would be drinking, I'd always feel lost inside because I tried to subdue and hide the things in my life. Then the next day, I'd wake up with a hangover. I'd spend the whole weekend trying to deal with a hangover. And I felt guilty and rotten inside of the things I'd done. And I'd said to people, things I'd said when I was out in the clubs. I spent the whole weekend feeling guilty. See, the truth is this, that Jesus wasn't condoning the drinking of the wine. 
He wasn't saying, I want you to get drunk and I want you to have more wine. What he was saying is this, that look, if I have the power to transform water into wine, how much more can I transform the inside of you? How much more when I look at you as vessels, jars of clay, how much more when I look at you that you're lost inside, that you just want to drink yourself silly, how much more if you let me come inside of you and live on the inside of you, can I refresh you and give you what you need? How much more? You see, if Jesus did that, they would have observed. I mean, you imagine that wedding. This was a sobering point in the wedding. They're all drunk, dancing around. Next minute, they realize six stone jars filled with top quality wine has just appeared because Jesus has just done this. That's enough to sober you right up. That's, that's like, you, you know when you get the firework display partway through a, an evening? Everyone goes out and looks up to the sky and it's like the break. This is the breaking point. It's like, you can imagine everything goes sound, the music goes off. What has just happened? Jesus performed this miracle. He did it because he showed them. Not saying, I want you to drink another 130 bottles. But I want to show you, I've got the power to give you what you're seeking after. I can do this, but how much more can I transform? You see, what was happening right there is, he took water to wine. This is a creative miracle. The process it would have took to get that top quality wine from from anything would have required lots of grapes. Jesus does it from water. He says, I can take the mundane and I can give you life. The master of the banquet described it as the best wine. He said this, you know, this is the choice wine. Most people save the rubbish stuff till the end, he said. Most people leave the poor stuff right till the end because everyone's drunk and no one knows what they're drinking. What is this? Why is this so good? Why, where have you got this from? He didn't even know where it was from. He said, why have you, he must have been thinking, why have you brought out this top quality wine? Everyone's drunk. They won't know if you give them cheap stuff. Do you know why? Because Jesus always gives the best. What he was saying is, look, I'm not going to do this, this miracle, and just give you some cheap, nasty wine. I'm going to show you that I can give you the best. I've got the ability to give you the best. And do you know what I find amazing as well? It's his grace that does this, that says, I'm going to give you the best wine, even though you can't even taste it because you're drunk. So if you taste it, you won't even know. That's lavish grace, isn't it? That's lavish grace and lavishing upon people. You see, Jesus today is giving you the best, even though you don't deserve it. Even though you don't deserve it in your life, even though sometimes you've ignored God and you're, you're in a sense you, don't even, you can't even recognize what he's given you sometimes, the best in your life. Because you're drunk in your life, not on alcohol, but you're drunk and subdued to understand because of life. And you've dismissed God. But God says, I'm going to still pour out lavishing things upon you. I'm going to give you the best in all times in every part of your life. So that you know that I'm consistent in what I do. I don't change. What do we sing earlier? Yesterday. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He doesn't say today I'm going to give you a bit more weaker stuff in your life. Because you've been sinning. He says no matter what you do. I'm going to give you the finest. Because from my house comes the finest. A wine that will sustain you in life. 
Hallelujah. Ephesians 5 verse 18, Paul says this, don't be drunk with wine. The New Living Translation, hopefully we've got up here, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, no one's condoning the drinking and heavy excess drinking of wine. Jesus is saying, look, do you realize that actually this stuff that I've just produced ruins lives? Just as money is good in some contexts, but too much of it will ruin your life. This stuff I've just shown you I can produce that you're all seeking after and you're loving here, I can produce it because I am the Son of God. But by the way, it ruins your life. But I am the author of life. I am the one who gives life. I'm the bread of life. What he's telling them that day is that true transformation comes from him. See, some people want to seek after religion. I don't know if you've seen this, but I just imagine that all of a sudden these jars have ruined. If you put wine into these jars, you're going to smell that wine in that stone. It's going to get engrossed into the porous stone. It's going to get into these stone jars. Now what was used for ceremonial washing is no good. Do you know why Jesus is saying, do you know what I'm showing you here? This is the end of the old because the new has come. This is the end of the old. You don't have to use these washing jars anymore because I am the one who will wash you. I am the one who will cleanse you. I am the one who when you feel that your life is ended, when you feel like there's nothing else to live for, I am the one who will wash you. So you don't need the jars anymore, guys. Because you can be filled with my spirit. You don't have to be drunk on wine. There's a new covenant coming. This is it. You see, Jesus said, that he didn't want to get involved, but all of a sudden he's starting to reveal really why he's here. He said, I've come really for, this is the purpose, I'll show you then. I'll turn water into wine, but I'll show you a reason behind this. Because I'm going to show you the reason why I am here on this earth. is to get rid of all of these ceremonial religious traditions that you've got, so that I can be the one who can wash you. Fill you with my spirit so that on the inside of you, you're sustained. On the inside of you, you're not relying on the things of this world to sustain you. Hallelujah. I put here that true transformation comes when religion for God is replaced by relationship with God. True transformation comes when religion for God is replaced by relationship with God. You see what he did there? He said, I'm going to remove the, re- the religious traditions for God. Remove that so that you can have relationship with me. And I can fill you. They must have been thinking, some of those guys, like you imagine some of the guys who filled those jars have been saying, actually, if we do this, we've ruined these jars. We can't use the jars again. How can we use a contaminated jar to wash ourselves anymore? Jesus just removed all their ability in that wedding to do any washing. Titus 3 verse 5 says, Jesus saves us, saves by washing us. Jesus saved us, not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was showing, I can wash you clean. I can wash you clean. Some of us today need to be filled with the Holy Spirit instead of the wine of life. Some of you are saying, well, I don't drink. That's fine. 
Somebody's saying, I don't drink. I don't get drunk. Do you know what? Some things in our lives are like getting drunk. The wine of life. You choose things. You're addicted to them. They give you pleasure. They subdue the problems in your life. They're guilty pleasures that you go to. They're just like wine. Some of you are saying, I'm so righteous, I don't drink. I don't do that. I don't want to do that. But the truth is this, there is other wines in your life. You see, every one of us have got some wines in our life that try and subdue things. And we're addicted to going to them. Jesus says, look, I want to give you my Holy Spirit. So that you don't have to go to these things. You don't have to go to wine. You don't have to go to anything to sustain. You need to be filled with my Spirit. It will be a daily thing. And it will quench your thirst. I'm coming to a close, but in John chapter 4, I love the story of the woman at the well. The woman at the well is sat there in Samaria. Jesus comes up to the, the woman at the well, and he talks to her about the fact he reveals prophetically. He says, you got, you've had five husbands. He reveals things about her. Again, we see it just like Nathaniel. He reveals a word of knowledge. He reveals his power to her. He says, you've had five husbands. In fact, the, husband, the person you're with now is not even your husband. That's six people. In other words, you keep coming to this well every day to get water. Just like your life, it's not quenched. Because you can't find fulfillment even in, in men. Every man has let you down. And just like you come to this well, you keep coming to get quenched in life. That's just like your life. Because your five husbands have not quenched your thirst. But Jesus then says this. He says, I am the water of life. I'm the spring that will well up inside of you. He said this, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. The water that was in the well. He says, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Hallelujah. I want to encourage you today. Maybe you need transformation. Maybe you need a supernatural transformation. It doesn't come from just listening to this message, nor by downloading it on the internet. But it comes when you give Jesus place in your life. Total place for total transformation. If you give him the response and the request to the request that he gives to you. And then if you allow him to come in and fill you by his Holy Spirit and transform every single part of you. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.